1492, you came up on the shores. 700 years educated by the Moors. 17th century genocide and the gun. Little passage blessed to market the Africans in the so-called lands of God. My kind were treated hard from back then until now. I see, and you agree, we have been a misrepresented people from back then until now. Just see. My family tree. We have been a misrepresented people. We have been a misrepresented people. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan. Hey, this is Desmond. And welcome to a special Juneteenth edition of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. This is episode 22. Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. Today, we celebrate black freedom and achievement while acknowledging the tremendous amount of work that lies ahead for the liberation of not only black people, but all marginalized groups. Today is meant to be a day of celebration, but we can't help but think of the recent killings of Rayshard Brooks, Oluwatayan Salau, Tony McDade, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and the thousands of others who were taken from us due to police brutality and other acts of horrific, oppressive violence. Why did they have to lose their lives, and when will it all end? The world is a fucked up place right now. While hundreds of thousands take to the streets every day to protest these unjust crimes, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic, one that we know disproportionately affects black and brown lives due to the widespread discrimination on the health and medical care of black people in the United States. But even in this pain, there is still hope, a hope fueled by the overwhelming waves of activism and resistance taking place across the globe to combat the systemic racism that our people have experienced in this country for more than 400 years. A hope actualized by the commitment of hundreds of millions of dollars being pledged to support black-owned businesses, organizations, initiatives, communities, and creators. I do believe that this is a watershed moment in our history, one that is also being further elevated by the urgent and necessary works of our contemporary black artists. Which brings us to today. On this episode, we will focus on the work of solely black creators in the world of entertainment. From Spike Lee, a filmmaking maverick who's forged an indelible legacy by ushering in a new wave of black cinema for past and present generations, to Issa Rae, a self-starting comedic genius who has set the current television landscape on fire by vividly depicting the black female millennial experience in ways we've never seen before. Our topics span movies, music, television, animation, and video games, all in an attempt to represent and discuss the magnificent, complex, and challenging work that we're seeing from some of the most brilliant artistic minds. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate the love and we hope that by listening to this show, you get just a little time away from the heaviness of the world. 
And so with all of that said, man, it's been a while since we last recorded an episode. Uh, A ton has happened in the world, obviously, in the past three to four weeks, of course. Um, Not only, you know, continuing developments with the COVID-19 pandemic, but of course, the huge racial injustices that continue to happen. Um, It seems alarmingly on an almost daily basis in our country and the amount of political activism um, and uprisings that have occurred all across the world. But we bring us here, you know, to today after weeks of all of this happening to Juneteenth. You know, the timing of it seems rather appropriate, right? And, you know, so yeah. Juneteenth is a is a is, is is meant to be a tremendous celebration for our people and for for you know black people all across the world, really. Um, and so this is obviously a special episode today. And like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be sp- specifically focusing on the works of black creators and black entertainers all across mm-hmm. um, the the entertainment industry. So we'll be talking about Spike Lee's latest movie, The Five Bloods, which recently premiered on Netflix um, just this past week. We have a lot to get into with that and obviously what that film means, especially in these current times. We'll be talking about the new Candyman trailer that just dropped, um, sort of a prequel short story that was that was just dropped by Nia DaCosta, the director of the film. Also have some other movie news. Emancipation um, with Will Smith is going to be heading to theaters um, in the next couple of years. They're about to start production on that. And then, of course, we got to recap Insecure, man. This has been a crazy, crazy season. Season four of Insecure just wrapped this past yep. week, so we're going to be giving our thoughts on that. The new Spider-Man Miles Morales game was just recently announced. That mm-hmm, definitely mm-hmm. shook things up, and people are very interested to see what that looks like. J. Cole dropped a song, Snow on the Bluff. Uh, to say the least, it's controversial, so we definitely have a lot to talk about with that. And then a host of other topics as well. But before we get into all of that, man, let's talk about Juneteenth a little bit and what it, what it, what it means you know, for black people, especially right. here in this country, um, and what, what this holiday represents for all of us uh, on this day. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very important. Um, first of all, that intro was fire. Very profound. Very profound. But, Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's very important that um, people actually get, you know, some historical background when it comes to Juneteenth. A lot of people still don't know what it is. I've been trying to tell my family for years um, that we should celebrate Juneteenth instead of the 4th of July. Right. Or even celebrate both if that's what you want to do. But Juneteenth needs to be you know, recognized. And so here we are now in the state um, of America where. Uh, now, Juneteenth, if anything, is being brought to the forefront more now than it ever has been, right? Like, people, the companies are starting to recognize it. Um, it's still not a national holiday, but we'll talk about that in a second. And so, here is a really, really quick history of um, what Juneteenth is. So, during the Civil War, right, President Abraham Lincoln issued a preliminary uh, Emancipation Proclamation, right, which happened on September 22nd, 1862. Um, and that technically wasn't formally issued until January 1st, 1863, declaring that all enslaved persons in the Confederate States of America, um, and not in the Union, that's very important, the Confederate States of, in, of America, uh, and not in the Union were to be freed, right? So, um, there was a lot of, um, planters and slaveholders who migrated to Texas, um, to escape the fighting, right? And there was, brought a bunch of enslaved people with them. So, here we are, a couple years later. And they're still slaves in Texas. <laughs> so still um, still slaves in Texas. And a lot of them were in Galveston and Houston. That was like the, the real big concentration was Galveston and Houston. And by like 1865, it was known that there was about 250,000 enslaved people in Texas still. 1865. Wow. Again, the, the officially the Declaration 
uh, for the emancipation happened in 1863. Here we are in 1865, where there's still a quarter million people enslaved in Texas. And so um, the news um, that uh, General Robert E. Lee, right, uh, one of the the, the, the biggest general um, in the South, um, the, the word that he surrendered didn't reach Texas until about April of 1865. And so here we are. On June 18th, June 18th, not 19th, June 18th, uh, the Union Army General, uh, General Gordon Granger, arrived at Galveston Island with a bunch of uh, federal troops, uh, right, to occupy Texas on behalf of the federal government. The f- to And then that next day, on the 19th, um, he read uh, the contents of the general order that announced the total emancipation of the held slaves in the state. So, again, it's two years, told two years later that these people were supposed to be free. Um, and they're just now hearing this news for the first time. And I'm going to just right. read real quick because a lot of people don't have never heard this before. Really, this is what the emancipation read. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation of executive order of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves the absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes at work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. So even though this event is thought of as the end of slavery, right? The Emancipation Proclamation did not apply to those enslaved and union held territory. That's again, it's so important because there, there were slaves in some of the union held places and technically, the emancipation did not apply to them. Really important. All right. So, wow. Yep. We so needed that we breakdown, though. Yeah, man. So here we are. The freedom um, of formerly enslaved people in Texas were given a legal status in like a series of like Texas Supreme Court rulings. Right. It was like a bunch of uh, ups and downs with laws and stuff. But um, here we are free. A lot of the freed freedmen, right, is what they were called um, in Texas, started to organize what was uh, what would then be uh, known as Jubilee Day. Right. On June 19th. That's what that was like the first thing we had ever heard uh, before Juneteenth. It was called Jubilee Day. And um, a lot of those early celebrations were used actually as like political rallies to give uh, voting instructions to newly freed slaves. Um, and then, yeah. So, you know, it was a quick rundown. Um of Juneteenth and here we are um with a brand new not brand new but a celebration um in which you know we can commemorate the actual final times um that people were meant to be enslaved absolutely um and as you mentioned this is something that not that many people know about but in this in this year particularly um it's certainly become extremely prominent considering everything that's happened um with the state of the world you know putting the the pandemic aside, uh, we've had quite a tumultuous um, previous few weeks with the amount of um, protests that have been sparked by the unjust killings of a lot of different, you know, black individuals, you know, that I named earlier and even more. Um, We've seen people really mobilize in this moment um, and take this extremely seriously more so than I really ever remember seeing. And, you know, I've heard stories from other people who have asked 
their their parents and their grandparents who lived, you know, to remember the civil rights era and things before that and the Jim Crow era. And I've heard, you know, countless times that they've also never seen anything quite like this. Um, and I think that there's certainly been a groundswell of, of a movement that's really happened. Um, unfortunately, it's it's taken the loss of life in order for it to to really right. be meaningful and to be as big as it currently is. Um and that's really unfortunate. It should never take that much. You know, it should, it should, it should have always been a priority for everybody. Black Lives Matter should never be anything controversial, right? And and here we are, we're, we're seeing this really unfold before our eyes. I guess just like as we examine this and, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure about this all throughout the episode because the, the resonance is, is really there in, in every topic that we're going to address. Um, just so far from what you've seen in the past few weeks with the protesting and the news and, and, and you know, the, 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 the GoFundMes and all of the different donations and pledges and everything that's really come about. Yeah. Um, what do you kind of make of all of this these, these past few weeks? Um, it's been really interesting, man, because like you said, there has been um, a very particular push for change and not just in one spot. Right. Like there's a lot of uh, different campaigns to abolish and to fund the police. You know what I mean? But there's also um, been a surge of 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 claims of sexual assault. There's been a, a surge of like we just talked about Juneteenth becoming a national holiday. It Everything everyone's trying to dip everything in the bud at the same time. Um, right. and, this is, and this is really uh, interesting, I guess, energy being put towards, no, nah, we we doing everything. And um, I think I think that's part of it. That's really cool. It is disappointing that um, it it came. Maybe this energy came out of, uh, you know, a cost of a life. You know, what I mean, uh, or several lives way too late in the game. Um, but in a way, it is uh, this. This is a catalyst now. Um it has it has become a a a push um, to change these things to 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 finally uh, put our minds together, uh, political figures together. People are coming out of the woodwork. People you never would thought come out of the woodwork um, to rally and say that Black Lives do matter, and to to come through and say um, we need to do better um, as best as we can, holding uh, other people accountable about um sexual assault and things like that so um i think it's i think it's a, a re- it is a hard time but i really do think this is a revolutionary time well said man well said so with all of that addressed um and talked about let's move into the first official topic for this week um with a filmmaker who has certainly exemplified and illustrated a lot of what this movement means um not only in his earlier films and his earlier works but really in his most recent films as well um we're certainly going to talk about spike lee and we will get to the five bloods of course um as that is his latest movie but before we do that we we want to just sort of address you know, his legacy as a filmmaker and how important he has been really to, you know, the movement and the mobility of black creators and black filmmakers in the industry um, and just how much he's done. I, I guess just to start off and to think about this for me, you know, Spike is absolutely, you know, one of my favorite directors ever. Um, he yeah. his work in particular hit me at a really profound time in my life. I didn't watch a lot of him when I was super young, like that that kid you know, mm-hmm. early adolescent phase. Right. It was it was kind of when I was actually becoming a teenager when a lot of his work did hit me, which I'm actually thankful for because typically the things he puts out really have 
heavy messages and deeper mm-hmm. meanings. And I think that they take, you know, somewhat of a mature mind um, at a certain stage to start to really wrap your head around what those things mean. So really in high school for me is when a lot of his films became just extremely, extremely resonant and important. It made me question, you know, my existence and how I moved throughout the world as a young black man at that time. And even still to this day, and really it started to make me think about as we started to prepare for today's episode and thinking about Spike Lee's films and his filmography, you know, what the meaning of a Spike Lee joint is. And, and, you know, we, we talk about the five bloods of course, later on, which is, you know, clearly an epic war movie, his take on an epic war movie. But I also think about how versatile he's been as a director for his entire career. It's really nothing he hasn't touched. He's pretty much made every sort of movie you can make. He's made dramas, comedies, musicals, documentaries, TV shows, war films, romance, everything under the sun, right? And so his versatility has always been there. But even though he's always incorporated multiple genres and styles into his movies and he showcased that ambition, Mm -hmm. his movies still have a profound effect to still be their own entity. They're still significantly, uniquely Spike Lee joints. So right. when I see a Spike Lee movie, I don't think of it necessarily as like, oh, this is a war movie, or this is a drama, or this is a romantic comedy. I think of it as a Spike Lee movie as if he's created his own genre, right? Like yeah. he's almost created his own lane, so mm-hmm. much so that I don't attribute a specific movie genre to really any of his films. They become sort of their own wing of uh, filmmaking. And right. I think that that's like really, really been illustrated in everything that he's done and how, how much he continues to challenge himself. And and specifically, him as a filmmaker, he's been around for, we're looking at almost 40 years now, he's been making movies wow. you know, for the mainstream. And... Mm-hmm. He continues to be progressive in a sense. It, it it always amazes me that one of his highest grossing movies, Inside Man, right, it came out in 2006, made a ton of money. But the following film right after that, Miracle of St. Anna, which came out in 08, no studio wanted it. No studio mm-hmm. wanted really anything to do with it. And he had to get funding from, I believe it was um, Italian filmmakers. He had to actually mm-hmm. get funding from the movie because there wasn't a studio in America that wanted to fund the project. And so it's always been like this weird juxtaposition of like Spike's work where he comes out with something that typically a lot of people can see, like a Black yeah. Klansman or an Inside Man. But he, yeah. always, al- he always has these smaller more independent films that he does in between. Um, Mm -hmm. And that might be due to the fact of his own desires, or maybe it's just for the fact that a lot of studios, they might not see his particular project at that time as viable, but he's Mm -hmm. always challenging himself. He's always challenging um, and trying out new things. I mean, every film he puts out, it's something different. It's its own experience. He tries new technologies. Um, he's always, you know, sort of been in support of like even the streaming age. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chirac went straight to Amazon. I remember that happened in 2015. <laughs> yep. Here we are with the Five Bloods. It's straight to Netflix. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really wrap himself up so much into the fact of how his movies are seen or how many people see his movies. But his movies yeah. always get out there and have some way. Uh, they find some way to permeate the culture. And I think that that's like one of the probably the highest things you can say about him is that his work is just so it's so recognizable and it's so undeniable that regardless of how it's distributed or how many people see it when it's initially released, it's always going to have some sort of life even Mm -hmm. later down the line. So that's kind of what he's meant to me. But for you, man, what is Spike Lee's career and his career films meant to you? Man, you really kind of hit it on the nose, man. Again, you just know when it's a Spike Lee joint, uh, particularly because, um, we've, we've, we haven't seen too many, um, I guess, 
black films and the way that he makes them. You know, a lot of times you see a black film and it doesn't feel like a Spike Lee joint though. Like Spike Lee joints are like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Blacky black, like a Spike Lee joint all the way. It's <laughs> like a whole nother level. Like you can watch the wood and you're like, okay, this is a cool black movie. Really good. Don't give me fire. But then you see, I don't know. You see a Spike Lee joint, you know, you're like, nah, it's black as hell. Like this is hella <laughs> black. Like, like fist fist up by the end kind of black you know what i mean and um he really has um this very specific um underlying tone that he always has that's like and i'm and it's like a like a ps i'm not going to apologize for being black kind of type thing which i will always um hold near and dear to myself because he's again he's one of the few black filmmakers i've ever seen that never he never compromises who he is ever he never gives a i don't know <laughs> he he never compromises any part of the film um to appeal to any kind of white gaze and that is sure. one of the coldest things that i've i've ever and will always uh respect about spike lee man that's that's such a great point and i think uh to, to what you mentioned about just his ability to um you know never compromise and you always know that with a spike lee movie like it it has a feel it has it has an mm-hmm. essence to it that yeah. really can't be attributed to any other filmmaker um which i think you know it, it really i mean this man really has like his own genre and his own style and i think yeah. you know even even seeing his career and how many people he's worked with you know over the course of just decades at this point uh, i think like any great filmmaker he likes to work with people repeatedly right yeah. you know so mm-hmm. we've seen the amount of actors he's brought back on multiple projects denzel washington samuel jackson ruby d ozzy davis isaiah whitlock jr dale orlando joey lee his sister john taturo and then uh, even behind the scenes giancarlo um, John, oh Giancarlo, you know of course and then mm-hmm. even behind the scenes you know ruthie carter costume designer all of his earlier films she worked on, Terrence Blanchard, yep. uh, his his regular film composer, incredible, um, who mm-hmm. also has a solo career in his own right. Uh, Ernest Dickerson, cinematographer, who also went on to go ahead and be a filmmaker. Yep. Uh, Kevin Wilmot, which is he's recently worked on, you know, his his most recent projects like Black Klansman and The Five Bloods has become his co his co writer. And then Barry Alexander Brown, his editor, has has pretty much been around from the start. So uh, I think Spike really really has a brand established. Um, he had a brand established a long time ago but it just it's further cemented with every release and it's always every it always it always feels important when he drops something and it always feels like something that needs to be seen um mm-hmm. you know just you know before again before we get into the five bloods and like our thoughts on that just want to give like a people a quick resource as to where you can find his movies currently a lot of them are actually available but there are still some missing but on netflix you can of course watch the five bloods school days she's got to have it the movie and the series malcolm x get on the bus and inside man and then on Amazon Prime, you can watch Red Hook Summer, The Sweet Blood of Jesus, Chirac. And then on HBO Max, there's He Got Game, When the Levees Broke, Black Klansman, Four Little Girls, If God is Willing and the Creek Don't Rise, and Mike Tyson, The Undisputed Truth. Um, so quite a few of his works are available right now, available for streaming. Definitely, if you've not seen any of these or if you just need something to rewatch, encourage you to go check those out right now um and with all that said man let's get into the five bloods uh so we held a movie night a two black nerds movie night this past week to watch the five bloods personally want to say thank you to everybody that participated it was really really fun to see how many people were watching at the same time and to see sort of the turn that happened throughout the movie because Mm. the 
the tone certainly shifted <laughs> quite a few times and to see sure. everybody's reactions yeah. um online was was really fun but thank you to everybody that that turned out for that it was it was a great night overall to watch this film um but of course the film is directed by spike lee it's written by danny bilson paul DeMeo, um spike lee himself and kevin wilmont and of course it's starring delroy lindo jonathan majors clark peters norm lewis isaiah whitlock jr and chadwick boseman currently it has a 93 percent rotten tomatoes critic score but it's a little bit more divided on the audience score in with only a 59%. Um, so with all of that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into our non-spoiler thoughts of the spot of the five bloods and what we think about the film. So I'm just going to ask you, you know, right off the top, how did you feel about this movie? And is it one of his best films thus far? Uh, I'll answer the second question first. I think it might be top five. I don't. Wow. Think, I don't think it's top three. But it might but, be top five. But it might be top five. And that's mm-hmm. um, that's coming from a person who probably needs to revisit a lot of Spike Lee joints. Um, but I've also seen a lot of Spike Lee joints. And uh, The Five Bloods has something about it that the other ones don't have. And I actually haven't put my finger on it yet, to be honest. But it feels different. Um, the Five Bloods, it really, from the beginning, when I seen the runtime, I was like, okay. A normal Spike Lee joint, you know what I mean? Runtime, it's it's pretty long, but um, Spike Lee does his thing, which another black, uh, a lot of other black filmmakers they don't do is he he tackles history, and a lot of people don't always tackle history. Um, their art may be a reflection of it, but Spike Lee is like, this is what happened, and I'm going to show you, <laughs> I'm going to show you um, some glimpses of what either happened or again a reflection of what did and so it's something about the five bloods that uh that draws me in really early um the cast is already fire you know what i mean like these are these are actors we've seen (laughs) day in and day out um especially uh mr lindo you know what i'm saying we'll get to him later (laughs) we'll get to him later but there's also um you know we have a young jonathan majors right who is shout out to last black man in san francisco he killed it too um as per usual but um for sure we, yeah we have it's, it's really good to see some old blood and some young blood um in a movie and it's and it's and it's black uh black men kind of putting on their best performance um as they can uh with the screen time that they're allotted right and so uh this is one of the more gory Spike Lee joints i'm not sure i've ever seen a movie as bloody as this one um which I'm thinking about it like, hmm, why is that? Um, I haven't figured, I don't know. You know what I mean? It could be, I seen a tweet the other day. Somebody said uh, Spike Lee never gets uh, big budgets. And I was like, but why? You know what I mean? Like this is one of the most iconic filmmakers we've ever seen. Why is he not getting these budgets? You know, it could be, you know, one of those things where you talked about um, he's done a lot of these independent films that don't get a lot of traction. Right. But why, why doesn't, I don't know why is aren't these other films as big budget um, as maybe um, like an Inside Man seemed like a, a bigger budget, you know what I mean? Movies like that, and so um, this story of uh, the Five Bloods, uh, it's it maybe it feels different because I don't think I've ever gotten a Spike Lee joint that feels like a journey. This is an adventure movie, right? <laughs> like at the end of the day, maybe that's why it feels different to me. It it is a journey movie. Um, it's like I felt like. Um, I was watching, well, he has very clear influence in the movie, right? Whether it be Apocalypse Now, 
right where there'd be a lot of different you know war movies um it feels very similar um and you can tell he, he drew inspiration from those movies he was like all right but we gonna but let's tell the black story here and he did that and um i don't know i think i think a lot of the action uh made the movie go up for me <laughs> because um there it it was it was quite literally i'm man it was quite literally like the only time that i was sitting in front of a spike lee joint was like that was a fire set piece yeah because like, he doesn't that, do that often he doesn't do that often it's a lot of, it's usually a lot of talking and i'm gonna hit you um you know what I mean? Where your mind is. But this was like, no, I'm going to hit you where your eyes are. When I'm going to get you in your feelings by, by ways of visual. Right. And in some different ways. Um, and yeah, man, it's it's good. I think it's good. I am going to uh, rewatch this and a couple of other films um, just to make sure my standing on top five is accurate at the time. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know 100 percent where this. uh where this um, 58% is coming from. Um, but I will also say that my assertion on top five is coming from a person who I I believe a lot of his movies are far from perfect. Um, I think they're good movies. I think a lot of them are good, but a lot of them are far from perfect. So it, it also top five, not saying it, it's not hard for me to put a Spike Lee joint in top five, but it's even more important um, to recognize when there is a top five Spike Lee joint because he has so many. Well, we'll we'll certainly get to top five for sure and talk a little bit more about what that what that looks like. Uh, I guess just to, to to sort of think about um, how I feel about the film. First, I would just say that I think that this is an incredible work by Spike and of course everybody involved. Um, I was pretty pretty blown away by the experience and, and how I felt after watching it. Um, I think, again, you know, to really go back to that whole idea of like a Spike Lee joint, one of the benefits of him is that he is also a documentary filmmaker, like a regular documentary filmmaker. Spike makes a lot of documentaries, whether it's yeah. Four Little Girls or When the Levees Broke. He's right. done Michael Jackson documentaries. He did one on Kobe Bryant. The man uh, of history. All of that. Yeah, all of that is a all of that is a huge benefit to how he brings his films to life right and so he's he's done an incredible job again merging sort of those two aesthetics documentary real life filmmaking but also fictional storytelling right so this is of course a fictional story but i think again also with spike's films even though they might be fictional stories they're still based on real people if that makes sense they're still based on real ideas real situations occurring so of course there are black war vietnam war veterans right and so yeah. that's the whole emphasis and idea behind this experience telling the story of a war movie from the black experience and from that perspective because we haven't really seen that before um right. you meant you mentioned you know some of his influences of course apocalypse now his favorite movie is uh treasure of the sierra madre which is like a whole movie about like yep. morality and what that means and it's also like an adventure story and you can see that really infused in this in this film and it's a lot about morality because the, the vietnam war itself was a war of morality really right and so right. you had at the time you had white people who were in charge sending black soldiers over to Vietnam to fight this war that really a lot of people felt was not a war that the United States needed to be involved with in the first place. Right. And we've heard the statistic. He's put this out there and it's been 
a part of history for a while. At that time, black people made up 11% of the population. However, they made up one third of the fighting force, about 32 or 33% over in Vietnam. So disproportionately sent over there to fight a war um, that really had nothing to do with us. And at the beginning of the movie, there's a clip of Muhammad Ali talking about the entire morality of what that war meant and why he wasn't going to be enlisted and go fight that war. And I thought that was incredibly powerful. And this entire experience and watching the five bloods really sort of unfold and slowly unfold uh, was, was, was quite the experience because it, 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 it starts off as a film about friendship, really, um, and just the relationship between comrades who were war buddies, and they're going back to Vietnam to not only dig up the remains of their fallen war buddy, but also find this gold that they stashed away. Um, that's the premise of the film, but then it, it involves into a lot of other things. You know, you mentioned Jonathan Majors. There's a father-son story here that's mm-hmm. really, um, mm-hmm. really, you know, kind of tough to watch at times. Obviously, yeah. there's ideas of post-traumatic stress disorder and how that affects you know the psyche and uh i remember that one line in the film where um one of the characters said like when you fight a war it never ends because even though you get to go home all the stuff that you have to live with in your head even after that is is certainly certainly a huge effect on your on your your mental state and of course at that time you know being black in america you go fight a war for years you're away from your family and from your friends and you come back to a country that treats you like shit still right and like Mm -hmm. that's the that's the idea like you're going to hell and then you're coming back to probably an even worse hell for some people um but there there were so many things in this film that i really loved um it's beautifully shot the action mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, yeah, I don't know if we've ever seen Spike just go full action at points. That was great to see. Oh, it was great. Yeah. This side of him. And really, this was one of his more expensive films um, yep. that he was able to produce. And so you really see sort of that uh, that budget oh, yeah. put to use. One of the things that I do want to ask you about this kind of kind of funny that I know like other people have talked about. We talk about like the budget and how expensive mm-hmm. it is. One of the interesting features of the movie is that there are several flashbacks of course it's it's a movie that takes place in both the past and the present um and in those flashbacks are our four main heroes who fought in vietnam with their with their fallen war hero storm and norman played by chadwick boseman um when we see those flashbacks it's not it's not younger actors Mm -hmm. there's not like de-aging technology um none of that is employed and i think spike has come out and just said like it was purely based off a budget like yeah, he didn't have a hundred million dollars like Martin Scorsese to do this incredible de aging technology, right? But what did you think about that? Did that ever take you out the movie, or did you actually enjoy the fact that we could stick with the same characters in the past? So I actually liked it a lot. Um, before I found out that Spike was just like it was the budget, you know, I was over here trying to come up with conspiracy theories like of why <laughs> of why Spike would have made that decision, and I kind of came up with my own. <laughs> I know it sounds weird. <laughs> But what right. I thought was, imagine you're like 55 years old, right? And you um, you have a thought or a memory about you being in the war. And it's kind of hard to picture yourself younger sometimes. Like, yes. It, and that's what I imagined was what was happening. That these were flashbacks, right? And if I imagine a flashback of me 20 years ago, say I'm 55 and now I'm 35 in the war or something like that, right? I'm not going to think of my younger self all the time. I'm going to think of my now self kind of in a way in that predicament or in that time frame. And so totally. in, that in my mind, that's what it was. Even like if Spike never said that, I would still be on that road. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like if that's what it was. But yeah, so yeah. that's what I thought. And it totally works too, right? Like you absolutely sort of place your current self just in those past predicaments. You don't necessarily think like, oh, 
did I have like this hairstyle? How much exactly. did I weigh back then? Like you're not thinking about all that when you're just sort of recollecting memories, right? right. And I think also for a movie, when a movie's good, you don't really nitpick at those things. Like right. if it, if it, if it makes sense and the movie's good, you kind of mm-hmm. just let that stuff go. And I found myself like I thought about it initially, but I was like, it doesn't really matter. And I'm actually glad we get to stay with the characters that we're you know sort mm-hmm. of growing to to know and become connected to. Um, another interesting thing in the film. Um, you know, again, this is non spoiler, but this is something to point out that, that that does happen in the film. Paul, the main character who's played by Delroy Lindo, turns out is a Trump supporter. Um, and pretty pretty vocal about it as well, right? And yeah. we see in the movie that he 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 was uh he was pretty much shouting out and representing Trump in, in quite a few ways. Yeah. This was an interesting thing that I was not expecting to see in a Spike Lee film. We know how mm-hmm. he feels about our current president of the United States. And so uh, when you saw this, like, did, did that sort of like throw you off a little bit? Were you taken aback? And um, just like, what were your I, overall it feelings? It wasn't just because I knew Spike was so political. <laughs> I knew he was trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, trying to make light of uh, people, the, these coons out here <laughs> that, that <laughs> are, that are like that though. And, and maybe uh, attempt at, um, maybe some some kind of i guess uh cognitive science of of why that is that he thought uh the way he did right why he became a trump supporter what what led him to get to that point what was it like was you know what i mean like was it some kind of um uh you know uh a test to the military you know what i mean was it like what was it that brought him to that and i just thought that was spike trying to um get into that psyche and explain uh to people or try to show people why one might get to that point totally and i mean also the idea that we're not a monolithic group of people which right we constantly i feel like we always have to explain that about black people because people yeah. think that we all think alike and we dress alike and whatever it might mm-hmm. be but even when it comes to politics there are black Trump supporters. Absolutely. We've seen them. We've yep. heard them. They are in yep. our public consciousness. We can identify them right now. Um, and so I think, yeah, right. Exactly. So I think that that's also just like pointing out the fact that like they exist too. And, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of like how you feel about their politics in this particular story, I mean, that doesn't necessarily separate, you know, Paul as a character from the rest of his group. Like they still love him and support him, but they obviously they can call him on his bullshit. Like, what are you doing, man? Like what's going mm-hmm. on with this? Of course. But, uh, several other things I liked about the film was just like also the represent representation of like Vietnamese people in the movie. I feel like in a lot of Vietnam war movies, the Vietnamese people are portrayed as just like faceless villains. Like they're right. just there to, to die right. and get shot and just be the opposition. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't feel like that was the case in this movie. Every yeah. Vietnamese uh, actor or actress that was featured, they were a pretty important, important parts of the story. They were a character. They weren't just, you know, soldiers out there for slaughter. And I feel like mm-hmm. that that's always been a problem with, you know, a lot of Vietnamese, you know, or Vietnam War movies, and just war movies in general, man, they don't, they don't ever really look at the perspective from the other side, like the other countries, the other lives that are a part of this, so I really respected that as well, and then, you know, the last thing that I'll sort of point out that I really, really loved, um, which is, for me, always a constant in pretty much every Spike Lee movie, is the music, Uh, Terrence Mm -hmm. Blanchard and his score, again, just incredible, they have a real way of just like sucking you into the story with the music that they sort of infuse. And yeah. so um, they, they've become like a really iconic collaboration. I think their first movie together was Jungle Fever and they've pretty much worked together on every film since. So that's like, 
probably 15 or maybe almost 20 movies. It's like it's like Steve, Steven Spielberg and John Williams almost like that that combination yep. of like two people that you just always can expect them to come back together. And uh, Terrence Blanchard and Spike they made a really conscious decision to to make Marvin Gaye's album "What's Going On" being like the centerpiece of this film. It was that was tight. Which was amazing because yeah. what more what more timely and prominent album could you feature in a movie, you know, especially about black Vietnam War veterans than that than that album, which is specifically about, you know, Vietnam and, and drugs and, and racial injustice at the time. Like it's such a it's such a watershed moment in terms mm-hmm. of like music at that time, you know, when Marvin Gaye put that album out, it was perfect. So I think there were like yeah. six songs from that album that were featured. Um yeah, and so, it was like Yeah perfectly just the title what is going on like <laughs> like <laughs> right. and you're like saying that the whole movie you're saying that in today's climate you're like what is going on and it was just it, it just came pretty perfect throughout the entire film um i will say it was a couple times where i did not know where our music was playing it wasn't the it wasn't the the song that was being played it was the time in which it was being played mm. like there was a very serious scene in there that i could not figure out why music was being played at all <laughs> and, but it but it was and it was really confusing me um and it, it did take away from the scene a little bit for me but yeah that's the only yeah. thing i have with the music yeah yeah that's totally fair and i think i think spike and terrence have done that quite a lot like in in, in dialogue scenes where you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect there to be like an underlying score playing yeah. there usually is like there's usually always like some sort of musical footnote that connects like the entire movie that that's like always existed and sometimes like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't right. and it might take you out the out the film um mm-hmm. did you have any other like you know i guess just to like look at the other side of it any other possible criticisms or things that you would have thought you know probably or things that you just you know would have expected you know more of or things that you would have changed possibly or something that you just expected out of the film um, that you didn't get one of my favorite things of the film um of course that we we need to talk about is Delroy Lindo, man. This legend that probably should have got an Oscar however many years ago, a long time ago, <laughs> or some kind of award. Get get, but this this role right here, I mean, he was just killing it the whole time, y'all. Like from the sweat <laughs> to the emotion on his face. There is one very particular instance that you just he was just acting y'all like i really can't say anything without spoiling it but he was acting just know this man was acting the whole movie y'all and there's a um there's a very very classic uh spike lee monologue in the film just fire that it was just so good that man was so good um that's probably the last uh just another good thing I, i say about the film um as far as something else i wanted to see um i don't know i think that was it man uh there were there were maybe just a couple very small loose end story things, but mm. other than that, it was pretty darn good, dude. Um, yeah, I would I would like to figure out this audience score that's going on because that I don't understand. But other than yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. I didn't dive into like a lot of feedback from like audiences and what they thought about the film. Mm-hmm. I'm not all that surprised though just because I feel like a lot of Spike's films tend to be divided uh on the audience yeah. side. Like people people either really take to his films and his style or they don't. And I've seen mm-hmm. that quite often just like following mm-hmm. everything he's put out um because he, he as we talked about he has a really unique point of view on everything and and that, and that comes through in his filmmaking. His style 
things are often exaggerated. You know, he's yeah. he's certainly known to 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 have exaggerated dialogue and scripts and and even choreography at times in his films. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. You don't expect it. I remember watching Chirac like they're rhyming almost the whole movie. Like there's certain creative yeah. choices that some people might not be able to look past. Not mm-hmm. sure what that might be for the Five Bloods in particular. I'm not sure what those things may be. So it, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to kind of dive into that. But I don't, you know, I don't really have you know much criticism for the film i mean i think i think to your point there might have been like some loose ends with some stories like um i think clark peters his character like the story right. with like the daughter and that whole exactly. thing like i probably mm-hmm. would have liked to see a little bit more of that exactly um mm-hmm. and, I, and i will say like chadwick was in the movie for barely at any time like he was barely in the yeah. movie he did a great job though like i think he did a great job hey, this might be he does. this might be one of chadwick's best roles really he does um, what he does man yeah but i would i would have liked to see a little bit more of him and i think it's so interesting yeah. like Ch- chadwick he i mean he's been everybody right he's been thurgood marshall he's been jackie robinson he's been uh james brown uh black yep. panther like these yep. extremely heroic figures yep. and i think spike had the wherewithal to say like yeah he kind of still needs to be that in this movie. He needs mm-hmm. to be this extremely heroic and inspirational mm-hmm. figure. And he's almost like, it's almost like holy in a sense. Like they really look up and remember him such in such fine ways. And like, when you see him come on, on camera, like the, what the creative choices, again, that spike makes like the, the way that like sunlight illuminates on him. It's like they elevate him up a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's intentional, you know, with his relationship with like Delroy's character, Paul, but I would have liked yeah. to just see more of Chadwick, honestly. So no. I hope that they get to work together again, hopefully in the future. No, um, I agree completely, man, because uh, he just, every time he was on screen, I was just like, oh, this is especially um, the creative choice, right? When there is a flashback, the 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 screen changes, everything looks different. Yeah, you see, yeah. and yeah, you see like this old school, uh, you know, look um, of film. And what's really interesting is we talked about how the actors didn't change, and Chatwick is way younger than all these people in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're just like. Oh, this is who it's like. It's almost like they were like looking up to an a uh, a a older a uh, younger man. I mean, like sure, like Chadwick was like the Malcolm X of the group, <laughs> but they were all older than him. I thought that was interesting too, because again, if we didn't uh, if we didn't see that how um, how Spike said it was a budget thing, I would have start putting some two and twos together again. You know what I mean? Like maybe the younger generation has some ideas that the old, you know what I mean? Like I would have started putting stuff together again. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. We love to, we love to read into stuff, you know, and and when we look at films and we love to like dig Mm -hmm. in, dig in deep. And sometimes it's just like, it's a logical choice. Like we just didn't <laughs> yeah. have the money. Like we just, we just didn't. Ha- we just ain't yep. had the money. But it's it's all good though. It's still it's still excellent stuff. Still great filmmaking. So I think it's safe to say that we both really really enjoyed the film, um, and that it, it might be one of Spike Lee's best works uh, yes. to this point. So definitely, if you've not checked out the Fire Bloods, do so and let us know what you think about the film. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. Speaking of Spike Lee's best movies, we got to do it real quick, man. We really we got to do it. And I know my mind changes all the time on this, but as as of now, this is how I'm feeling. We're gonna do our respective top five Spike Lee joints. We're gonna, you know, mm. just quickly talk through what we think is like top five from him as a filmmaker. Um, again, Spike has been directing for so long now. The Five Bloods. This is crazy. The Five Bloods, because it's been released this year in 2020, he's now released films in five different decades, and that is just mind-blowing to me the longevity 
is insane, right? And so he's done everything. Again, his his versatility has been all over the place. Um, and again, like there's things that you that Spike directed that you probably didn't even know he directed. Like he's even done music videos and commercials and documentaries, like I mentioned earlier. But uh, I think when looking strictly at his you know feature length narrative films, um, there's about 23 or 24 of them if I'm not mistaken um and so for me you know I'm just gonna quickly run through like what my top five are for Spike just the things that I feel like are really his seminal works um so at number five I'm gonna put in Bamboozled um Mm -hmm. that was a movie that I first saw in high school that really kind of shook me obviously the representation of black people in media and entertainment and culture it's scathing it's 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 really it's tough to watch at times just because of how raw and real it gets. And I think when Spike released that movie at that time, he was frustrated by a lot of different things, like just not being able to get certain projects off the ground, the representations of black people in media. So Bamboozle, definitely, I think, a seminal work um, just, re, you know, released on Criterion, great Criterion release um, that I just picked up. It's 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 magnificent. Go pick that up because I don't think it's available on streaming. Um at number four, I got Mo Better Blues. That was the first time that him and Denzel mm, worked together. Okay. Love that movie. Okay, uh, okay. Such a musical movie. And yep. again, I remember the first time I saw that, it was, it was a great experience because it's all about an identity crisis, right? Like somebody who's super talented at something and then it gets taken away from them and how they how they cope with that and how they deal with that in life and you know denzel was magnificent wesley was in that movie and the yeah. great robin harris also mm-hmm. who we lost too soon was in that film i really love that that movie uh what came out right after mo better blues is my number three jungle fever mm. which is uh, definitely a funny film but also a super serious film about you know interracial romance and what that means wesley snipes is the star of that movie uh stevie wonder did you know um he's featured a lot in the in the movie and that's how i kind of remember it the most jungle fever is one of those films that i remember watching like all the time when i was younger that was just like a movie that i would always go back to um number two and number one should be really be no surprise number two is malcolm x yep just colossal amazing work by denzel should have won an oscar um everything that could be said about Malcolm X has been said. It's, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, one of the greatest biopics ever made. It's just, it's phenomenal work. And the mm-hmm. number one, um, again, no surprise. If you know me do the right thing. It's one of my favorite movies ever. One of yeah. my most rewatched movies ever. I've seen it like so many times at this point, I can quote so many things from it. Um, and again, that hit me at a really young age, um, where things started to really click for me in terms of like mm-hmm. what my identity meant and how, how I fit into society. Uh, do the right thing is something that I could watch really at any time. And, from the opening scene where you hear fight the power all the way until the end, you know, yep. when they're just sort of going through that protesting scene and then, you know, the the whole South Pizzeria scene and everything. It's just such a such a powerful movie um, and really one of the most important movies ever made. So that's kind of my top five. As of now, this kind of changes all the time. Like at, at any given time, you, you'll yeah. see a host of his other movies possibly in this list. But that's kind of my top five. You have anything you uh, you want to list off there for, for your yeah, best fight movies? I got a top five. I got a top five. So number five, um, I'm going or at number five, I'm going to have to go with School Days. <laughs> mm. Now, this is a this is just a personal favorite because that movie is is one of the first Spike Lee joints I've ever seen. Um, if not the first, I can't remember what the exact first is, but it might have been that. It might have been School Days. Um, it's just an all around crazy movie. If you've seen it, you know how crazy it is. There's a lot going on in the film. There's dancing and breakaway. Thing, you know, a lot of a lot of Greek stuff happening. But the message. It was one of the few movies where the message. Uh, by the end of the movie, you're like, 
what am I waking up from? <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? He's, you know, yeah. the, the, in the film, Lawrence Fishburne is like, wake up. And you're like, what are you talking about? And yeah. uh, it was one of those, it was like a cliffhanger in a way, um, in terms of not a cliffhanger with what's next, but what, a cliffhanger was what did I miss? Uh, kind of mm. type things and i thought that was um really interesting so uh again that's like a personal favorite is just always stuck in my mind ever since um number four oh my god a documentary for that ass Have you ever seen when the levies broke oh my, oh my god. god it's so good y'all like he just was killing it the whole time like he's talking about katrina he talked this is back when yay was like george bush don't care about black people and the tone is just it's so devastating that it, it encaptures you the, throughout the whole documentary it's like four hours or something crazy but it is a very captivating four hours um which is perfect i guess it fits as my number four uh number three this might be divisive because it's recent i really like this movie still uh black klansman dude black klansman's mm. tight Fire. I think like I think Black Claim was really tight. I know a lot of yeah. people didn't rock with it that much, but like as it just felt like a thriller that also gave me the feeling of a Spike Lee joint. Like uh, as much as I love Inside Man, it doesn't give me that blackness, fight for blackness feel. You know what I mean? Just a normal thriller. But it's like take Inside Man with the blackness, and it gives me Black Klansman. It felt really good to me. Um, so that's probably at my number three, and our number one and two are the exact same, bro. Malcolm X at number two. Oh my God. I, ain't, I don't even got to talk about it. You already talked about it. <laughs> no, I don't even got to talk about it. And then uh, Do the Right Thing, of course, is... Um, I know we. I just talked about um, School Days, Leaving Me Somewhere. Do the Right Thing was like a whole nother level on, on top of that. Do the Right Thing was like just that um, the film that... Um, where the audience should feel like it's suffocating. Like mm. the whole time um, I... And uh, it's crazy because now uh, I live in bed today. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and this film is set there. And it is, it's crazy to see, um, you know, where, where there be uh, glimpses of local pizzerias and just just the racial tension um, that that film brings is really unprecedented. It's something I've never seen before. Um, and it really was um, this sad vision of uh, uh, the time of which it came out. Right. The multicultural um america right where there was so much mistrust and um and like i said i love spike lee as a historian because it's really what he is um and that that film gave it to me and it's just that amazing so yeah and that's my top five incredible man uh so yeah there you have it those are our top five uh spike lee films respectively uh let us know if you agree or disagree there's so many things that he's done uh i find it interesting that like three of our entries are completely different and that's like that shows like he's done a lot of really good work man and i, I was mm -hmm. i was fighting with like black Klansman and inside man i'm like damn yep. man how, how are these not like in top five yeah, but i know he I got know. such good stuff right inside um, man it, might be a, a, a close sixth Right, I'm scared. right. Like if, like if I watch it again, it might creep up to the top five. Kind of good, like that. That's kind of <laughs> what it is. It's like, what did I just watch recently? That's gonna yeah, probably make my top five. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, like we mentioned earlier, a lot of these films are available on streaming to go watch. If you haven't seen any of those that we just put in our top five uh, lists, we absolutely recommend them because they're top five Spike Lee movies. Which why wouldn't you want to watch those? So exactly. let's go ahead and move on, man. Uh, let's talk about this brand new short animated 
trailer slash film that we just mm-hmm. got for Candyman, mm-hmm. uh, which is initially supposed to already be out at this point. It was supposed to come out in June. Um, might have been this weekend, actually. It might. I think the initial release date might have been this weekend, so that makes this release timely. However, the film has been pushed back to September due to COVID-19, um, mm-hmm. but just a couple of days ago, the director, Nia DaCosta, she released a short film um, on Twitter um, for Candyman, sort of sort of acting as like a as like a as like a prelude or, or an origin story for Candyman. And so she tweeted out, she said, Candyman at the intersection of white violence and black pain is about unwilling martyrs. The people they were, the symbol, the symbols we turn them into, the monsters we are told they must have been. Mm. Um Really, really, really resonant thing she says there. Uh, the shadow puppetry in the movie was done by Manual Cinema, which is a studio based in Chicago. They're a filmmaking and design studio in Chicago. And the score was composed by Robert Aki Aubrey Lowe. I hope I didn't pronounce that incorrectly. Um, but yeah, man, this was this was released. It was about two and a half minutes. I'll just go ahead and say, man, it was beautifully done. I haven't seen like... I don't think I've seen that style of animation. Not to say that it hasn't existed. I haven't seen that t- style of like animation probably since like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. That scene where they had like sort of the shadow puppets and they were like talking mm-hmm. about the Deathly Hallows and what that meant. That was mm-hmm. the last time I remember seeing it. So when I saw it, I, w- I was immediately taken taken in by it. Like, wow, this is visually sort of arresting. Um, right. But just like watching it, man, it was it was super good, really well done. Um, yeah. And again, it, it kind of walks through the origin story, I think, of Candyman and that whole mythos, which mm-hmm. we've seen, you know, in the original film um, that came out, um, I think, over 25 years ago at this point. But to see it sort of reimagined uh, in today's age was was really was really uh, sort of a cool thing to sort of see come to light, especially because we didn't get the movie this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like a nice appetizer to have right before we go see the actual film. What did, what did you think about it? It was so fire, dude. Um, if you know me, I love uh, animation in different ways. Um, I love animation um, brought to you know a different light. And to bring an animation teaser is just what you did what <laughs> for a horror film. And it's like it's not just a teaser; it's like historical background. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like what is ha- who thought of this? Like whose idea was this? Whoever they give them a pay raise for whatever this movie does in theaters i don't know something needs to happen but they really they really came with some fire man to see um again the story of Candyman, like you said reimagined especially um coming off of a movie like a just mercy you know what i mean mm-hmm. or um even just thinking about like you said the mythos that we got from the original Candyman. it's like they're really trying to paint this picture um for what this movie truly is and i Ever since Jordan Peele had announced it, it is something that I only hope that this movie would address. And it's it's like confirming, you know, uh, confirming what I all my hopes uh, that this movie would become. So it was really dope, man. I, I liked it a lot, like a lot, a lot. Absolutely. And I mean, similar to the original Candyman, uh, this is a movie that has something to say, obviously. Like it's mm-hmm. not going to be your typical horror movie. Absolutely, I'm sure we're going to be scared and frightened by what we see, um, but probably in a variety of ways. And I think I really I really appreciate that about, you know, Jordan Peele and that's kind of been his whole 
mo with all of his film projects but also right. nia Costa. I'm, I'm really excited to see what they what they produce when that comes out this september so if you've seen this trailer hit us up on social at two black nerds and let us know what you think about this new animated Candyman trailer um to stick within the world of movies i'm um, just like another quick bit of news that came out uh the movie emancipation has been greenlit it is moving forward uh the movie will star will smith obviously one of one of our black superstars in the world of, of acting, and it's going to be directed by Antoine Fuqua. Um, and if you don't know him, he's a frequent collaborator of Denzel. He did the Equalizer movies. He also did, did Training Day. Uh, he did the Magnificent Seven. Great, great movies. Antoine Fuqua mm-hmm. is definitely a solid director. Um, yeah. And it's going to be based on the true story of Peter, who's a runaway slave um, who embarks on a torturous journey to the Union Army while navigating the unforgiving swamps of Louisiana on a torturous journey north. Um, and if you don't know peter this is actually based on again a true story if you've seen that photo um that really iconic and disturbing photo of the slave um whose back is sort of scoured and disfigured from the whippings that they used to experience back in the day it was one of the most yeah. prominently featured photos that came out i think it was in the 1800s when that when that initially happened and it's still referenced and, and alluded to in textbooks to this very day it's i think it's probably one of the first like actual photos that I've seen of like from slavery and that it paints mm-hmm. the horrors of it, you know, quite literally for you right in front of your eyes. But they're doing a film about that, um, about that individual production is slated to start in early 2021, mm-hmm. you know, COVID willing at this point, but we'll see. But I guess with all that I said, are you excited to see Will Smith and Antoine Fuqua te- team up for the first time? Hey, I'm down. I need this movie to be like Catcher Freeman. Like, <laughs> Won't you yes. take our black asses out of here? Like I need you to bring me Boondocks vibes. I need one hundred percent. I need him to come kill some. You know what I'm saying? I need him to come with some ass like Django, ass whipping levels. Like let's go. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's that's hilarious. Let's get some. Let's definitely get some some uh, some 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 vibes from that and like really see this guy persevere because I hope that's what the story about. I think I think it will right. be a story about perseverance and overcoming. Mm-hmm pretty much all the odds you know he's trying to go on this journey alone seemingly especially through you know really tough and dire conditions so i'm excited yep. to see it we don't really know much about it but you know again it's will and antoine and i think they'll produce something really meaningful there yep. um so with that said man let's move into the world of television Uh-oh. which i've been waiting to talk about this we've held back <laughs> we've held back to waiting to see the whole the whole portrait of of what this was going to look like hey, but all spoilers all spoilers be ready all spoilers you've had 10 weeks right so we're going to talk about of course season four of insecure which just recently finished um it's run on hbo this this season uh and before we you know talk about the specifics man i think again just, just just to just sort of you know bring this back to to the themes of today's episode with it being juneteenth and just us reflecting on everything happening i will say in the midst of all of the turmoil, all of the disturbing things that we've seen, mm-hmm. all of the mm-hmm. um, the trauma that we've experienced, um, and even seeing you know the perseverance of Black people and the protest and the and the resistance, it was really really nice. I think at least once a week to have something that we could 
collectively convene around, you know, as black right. people, which mm-hmm. I know, you know, a lot of black people I know watch this this show. It was it was good to have something to just convene around and talk about every week that was sort of a getaway, right? Something that we yeah. can just watch, take our minds off of the current si- situation because everybody needs a break, right? We can't do this twenty four seven. So I was really appreciative of the timing of this in particular. And Issa Rae, man, I, I gotta I gotta shout her out and shout out the whole crew and and everybody involved in this in this show because not only was it something that we could get our minds off of Mm -hmm. i thought that this season was incredible i thought it was so well done from top Mm -hmm. to bottom yeah it might it might be their best season i'm a a huge fan of season one as well but this 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 might be up there you know in terms Mm -hmm. of of what they put out so far um but everything everything was just so well done a couple of things here and there that we can probably nitpick at later, but let's just dive right into it, man. Let's talk about everything involved in season four of Insecure. I think we just got to start from the top and work backwards, right? Like we got to start with the most explosive information that we found out yep. in the season finale, Might which has well. so much in it. Um, as you all know, this season is really focused on, I think, two pivotal relationships. It's it's the relationship between Issa and Molly, of course, which has sort of been the, the, the central the central story driving everything, the narrative mm-hmm. for the season and their friendship and how that's looked. But then also what we've seen with Lawrence sort of developing and growing as a character and then slowly coming back into the picture towards the second half of the season. And we saw him and Issa finally mm-hmm. rekindled that relationship and they rekindled it, rekindled it in a really, really good place too. Like it was going yeah. so good. Everything yeah, like, was going heads, so good. Heads in the clouds, literally. All of that. I was watching <laughs> it like, oh my God, this this is what we should all aspire to. This level of like joy yeah. and happiness. Of head assery. Um, <laughs> of all the head assery, right? <laughs> but then of course, the drama ensues. It is still television. It is still yep. you know, a reflection of real life. Uh, by the end of it, all of that came crashing down pretty quick. Condola, who you know at that time was Lawrence's ex, at this point in the season, she revealed that she's pregnant. Uh, with Lawrence's child, and she will mm. be having this baby, according to her. Mm. And Lawrence, Lawrence revealed that information to Issa. Yeah. Um. So let's start with that storyline because we 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 certainly got to talk about Issa and Molly and Molly and Andrew. But let's start with let's start with the main thing that's been really driving this series for four seasons thus far: the relationship between Issa and Lawrence. How did you feel about how everything unfolded? You know, really episodes one through ten with those two. Um. You know, it was probably like one through five that. Lawrence wasn't really around that much at all. Um, it was a lot of it was a lot of Molly and Issa stuff going on, right? Uh, whether that be like I don't know, like the Thanksgiving episode or <laughs> you know, like things like that, um, where they're just uh, trying to show us the falling out of of Molly and Issa um, that really became complete by the time we get to the block party. And I think uh, that it was first of all, I think it was very well done. Because um, a lot of times, um, say, if you do have a falling out with a friend, it is never instant. Molly and Issa weren't instant. You can go back to season one and see these little conversations and things that they would have that would kind of make them uh, uh, have odds with each other. Or there would be some kind of, you know, sideways comments and stuff that would go uh, left unchecked or under the radar. That I think is really just good writing honestly because they did it in a way where you could make it either one you can make it seem like there's just their friendship right like maybe <laughs> you know that's what they do but um but on the other hand they made it so these are low-hanging fruit that just carried throughout these seasons um that finally caught up with them 
um, and and of course, uh, I guess we'll see how it goes 100%, but um, seemingly right now ends in them not being friends anymore. And I think that was just so, so, so very well done, um, whether that be um, – and, and I've, I've actually seen – people on two different sides when it comes to Issa and Molly. I have. I thought everyone would be on Issa's side, but I've seen a couple arguments from Molly's side that I thought was very, very interesting. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, to talk about Issa and Molly, um, that's really kind of the the conflict of season four and the yeah. idea of what friendship means and outgrowing friends and, you know, Princess Penny, the showrunner, um, he mm-hmm. recently did an interview and he said that the idea of this, the really idea of this, this entire season, not only for Issa and Molly, but for every character involved is, is the idea of, you know, are people around for a reason or for a season? Right. And that's where we start to really find that out in, in season four of Insecure. And Issa and Molly's relationship, the way that it sort of dissolved into what it is now, mm-hmm is very reflective of how it could actually happen in real life. It, it, yeah. it absolutely tends to be a slow burn. Right. It's not usually something that happens overnight. These are things that build up and build up over time, and you, they're usually never addressed because, you know, you kind of write them off. as like friends. Right. It's like, oh, you know, she just being her, or he just being him, or whatever it might be. You mm-hmm. just kind of write those things off, and then, lo and behold, something happens, and they, they continue to build and fester. And in this season in particular, we saw Issa discover a new a newfound level of success with her professional life right like we saw her really start to flourish and really find her way and she threw that incredible block party which you know turned out to be a hit and she had Vince Staples there and like she was doing a lot of great work and a lot of people have speculated that 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 is something that gets to Molly in particular because this entire Mm -hmm. time Issa has not really had the upper hand in a situation with Molly, but now now that she's found success, it almost comes off as a threat to their relationship. And I I think Molly has dealt with that and that's sort of manifested in certain type of ways, amongst other things, right? Because she also I think she she doesn't like she doesn't like Issa to become involved with with the relationship side of what she has going on because she really wants to protect that. Um, which kind of speaks to her security level with that relationship and, and how she views her friendships. It's really interesting. Um to, to, to see that all unfold and they you know like you said they really blew up um by the middle of the season and we really saw the falling out and how they've dealt with it in particular and then you know on molly's side they spent a lot of time with her character um she's one of the main perspectives of the show and we saw the relationship between her and andrew grow and develop but now we've also seen it sort of deteriorate over time and andrew by the end of the season has said i don't know if we're good for each other i don't know if this is going to work and so now yeah. molly's in a position of not only losing, you know, a relationship she thought was going to be beneficial and, you know, really good for her, but she's lost mm-hmm. her best friend. Um, and now by the end of the season, we're left to just, you know, speculate as to what happens next. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those are my thoughts on those two. And, I, you know, I do want to get back to like Issa and Lawrence and like that whole development. Really, yeah. like you mentioned, the second half of the season, because Lawrence, he was in the shadows for the first five episodes. Right. But the second half of the season is where he really sort of rose to prominence. And that was kind of the main focus, mm-hmm. um, especially as we saw the relationship between him and Condola sort of move and develop and how that changed over time. And then him rekindling that relationship with Issa. But how do you feel that all played out over those those final few episodes? Um, confused in a lot of different ways. Uh, what's crazy about the the situation at the end, right? About uh, Condola being pregnant, is that um, it's really interesting how, in a way, I know this sounds terrible, 
Oh no! But Lawrence is in a way in the worst position. Like he just got a new job, um, and now you you just rekindled something with your ex, and now you're being told by another ex that you have a child. You know, it's like so. I don't. It's just I don't know what's happening here. Like it's a, it's a lot going on. One, Kendola said she's keeping it no matter what you think, which yeah. is really interesting to me because. I don't want to say she's trapping Lawrence because I, in a way, she's not. But in a way, she is because she knows Lawrence is not going to not be shit. Like he's like right. he's a good guy. Exactly. <laughs> like he's a good guy. She like even though she was like, oh, I know you don't have to be involved. You can be involved in however much you want. But she knows deep down that Lawrence is not going to sit there and let that you know not be supportive um, of everything that's happening. And so you know it's this really interesting dynamic where it's like. Kendola, why are you having this baby in a way? You know what I mean? Like before she was married and they decided not to have the baby, whatever that was about. I don't know. It, financial. Um, it could have been anything. Who knows? Right. Uh, but that's my idea. Maybe they didn't have the money at the time. Maybe. Maybe she already knew she wasn't in love with him. I don't know. But now all of a sudden you feel like you're in a position to have a baby with a man you're not even with anymore is my my eyebrow raise <laughs> to where like this is the situation and that wasn't the situation i i you know what i mean it's it's really weird to me um i'm also confused why they said they were being careful where how careful were they being like were there birth controls from either side it's not like they were together for a long time you know what i mean it's not like <laughs> they was just out here three years in the game you know i don't know i i'm just trying to figure out everything to why Kendola why this is happening you know what I mean and um you know I, I it is what it is I guess you know at the end of the day now it's like she's keeping it what's next does Lawrence go to San Francisco and try to support um Kendola from there you know because his happiness now probably is rooted somewhere in San Francisco that's where his new job is he said he gets a brand new office and that's probably he probably gets paid more. That's probably the best place he can go to even support this th- this child and his baby mama now, right? But then it's like, well, Issa's here and my baby mama's here. Now what decision do I make? You know what I mean? And now it's, it's just a lot going on. Issa has to process all of this. Does she even uh, 100% want to be with a man who is now with child? You know what I mean? It's, it's a lot going on. So I think it's a, it's a really crazy cliffhanger that I do want to say I predicted, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry to everybody on Twitter. June first, I'm t- dead. <laughs> Show the 1st, receipt. I tweeted, "Candola is pregnant." Cause on that very particular episode, I think it's episode eight, she was a little too pressed to talk to Lawrence. I felt it. She's a little too pressed. If she if it was just a normal talk, she'd just be like, "Hey, can we talk?" Yep, yeah, blah blah blah. But she was like pressing Lawrence pretty heavy. Like we need to talk. And I uh, I just knew it. I just knew it. So yeah, it's a it's very interesting um, to see what happens uh, from here on out. The circumstances have become extremely complicated at this point, right? And I think I think all of our main characters are now at their most dire situations, yeah. Um, respectively, that we've really ever seen them in. You you outlined Lawrence's perspective and also a little bit of Issa's perspective um, of how devastated she is and. On top of that, she's lost her best friend. Molly's in a similar position of losing her best friend and now 
losing a relationship that she really valued. All of our heroes are, are, are in really shitty predicaments at this point. Um, they have really tough decisions ahead of them. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the beauty of this season. We're left wondering, really, what the hell is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Is Lawrence going to move? Is Issa going to stay with Lawrence? Like, what are they, are they yeah. going to try to work it out? Is Andrew going to end up coming around with Molly? Um, mm-hmm. And I just got to say, you know, with the last episode... Um, there was so much that was happening. They, they tried to wrap up a lot, especially within 30 minutes. But I will say that that, that scene with Lawrence revealing to Issa that Condola was pregnant, also intercut with the footage of Condola revealing to Lawrence that she was pregnant, I thought that that was so well done and probably yeah. some of the best work that yep. any of them have done in terms of yep. acting on the show so far. I agree. It was... Even- it was devastating like to just see their reactions and how they acted when when that information got out like it was it was so well done and so well handled and i was just i was really taken aback by it because i was like i feel the weight of this moment because it felt super serious even though like at a certain point it kind of did become predictable like you could Mm -hmm. start to think like damn she might be pregnant why is she pressing him so hard but even though you might have seen it coming or you might have had an idea that it was going to go that way. It didn't take away from that moment at all because to hear it aloud yeah. and to hear it become a reality was just enormous, you know, for everybody mm-hmm. involved. And I think um, I think just like moving ahead, like where we look towards the next season and what happens, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but that's the best place to be in from like a writing yeah. perspective. Mm-hmm. They've put themselves in an interesting corner that they have to figure out how to solve and we're going to be left with, you know, sort of, the decisions that they make and, and where our characters are going to go. And I think, I think it just puts us in a very, a very intriguing position and also a position again, that people can relate to, which is always yeah. going to spur a lot of the best conversations because everybody has an opinion on this type of stuff. And a lot of people that we've probably even known, or maybe even personally have been involved in something like this. And it's, uh, it's never easy. It's really, really tough. And I think it'll, it'll continue to be that way for the characters. But I think, I think all of it was just handled so well, man. It was, um, it was a great season finale. I agree with that completely, man. Just from when Lawrence walked in, you knew something was wrong. His face, right. he just beasted that whole part. <laughs> like his face was uh, just at a state of discomfort and uncertainty that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't ready for, but he he had, he had to tell her like he had no other choice. Like I have to tell you this at this very moment. It was so good. Um, the only other thing I will address is that um, Issa and Molly are currently in a state where they, in a way they just lost everybody. Mm. Like, they lost each other. They lost their significant others. <laughs> Who yeah. else do they have? You know what I mean? In in, in some uh, figurative way. Um, and so I think that's why we see them at the end, right? What are we? What's going on from here? Um, Q Q Tyler the Creator. You know what I'm saying? Are we still friends? <laughs> like, like it is. It's it's so that is just so well done, dude. And I think um, it's very important um, that that they they figure out what's going to happen because this is showing again, this is late 30 or late twenties, uh, early thirties. I think Issa turns 30 beginning of like season three or something. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's crazy to see how, um, I guess it, it just, it's all, it all comes together, man. Like what is, what is, what are people thinking? What are, what's, I don't know. It's wild. It's a wild situation to be in. Yeah. Um, beyond sort of the story elements of this season, I just also want to just point out other things that happened and other things that I noticed. Um, you know, again, Insecure is just such a beautifully shot show. 
like the the whole setting of LA and how they sort of communicate that visual language is always super impressive to me. Um, it feels vibrant. It feels real and authentic, especially like as a young black person living in LA. Um, it feels like that's the experience one would have. I haven't lived in LA, but it, it feels like that that's, that's accurate. Right. And, and they, and they really incorporate not only the music that we listen to, but they also incorporate again, those local businesses that are in the neighborhoods They incorporate local artists and just all the things that make up that culture. Um, and I think that they did, did a great job with that this season as well. Also, there was a, a recurring, you know, motif that happened all throughout the season. It, it was, it was the framing of two characters, right? They would be standing, looking at each other yeah. and there would be distance in between them. And if you look at that, it happened maybe four or five times throughout this season. And mm -hmm. I think that just reinforces the whole concept and idea of what, what insecure season four is the distance between characters, whether it's, you know, distance that they have to sort of overcome to come back towards each other or the distance that, that ends up being created, you know, due to other circumstances, uh, it sort it sort of, you know, illustrates that, that separation that I think people, um, are dealing with our, our specific characters like Issa and Lawrence and, and, and Issa and Molly and Molly and Andrew, and just all of these different things that happen simultaneously and just how they're, how they're coping with that. And then yeah. the only other thing, um, there were a host of guest stars this season, and this was unexpected, but so welcomed. They had some of the best uh, callbacks to like some of our best black actresses who were prominently featured in sitcoms all throughout the 90s and 2000s who I haven't personally seen in a while, but I know that they've all been working on different things. But like Kyla Pratt showed up at some point, Kim mm -hmm. Fields, Wendy Raquel Robinson, Terry J. Vaughn, like all these people who I grew up with, like always seeing on sitcoms, like obviously Kyla Pratt, you know, one-on-one -on -one was a, a, a decent show on UPN. And of course she did uh, Penny Proud on the Proud Family, Kim Fields, you know, one of the leads on Living Single in the 90s, Wendy Raquel Robinson and Terry J. Vaughn, both on the Steve Harvey show. It was just so good to see, like, it felt like Issa was just sort of paying tribute to those iconic black actresses that were on sitcom, comedy, yeah. comedy television, you know, that yeah. she probably watched when she grew up and she was, I, I would imagine, certainly inspired by. So I, I love just seeing them pop up all throughout the show and just those, those almost sort of Easter eggs in a sense that she that she sort of incorporated into the season. Yeah, no, that was pretty dope for sure. I liked, especially Kyla was the one that surprised me the most. I was like, "Oh, hello, <laughs> who is this? Over <laughs> where here? you, where you been? Where you been? Uh, where you come from?" But yeah, it was pretty dope. Yeah, man. So there, there's a lot to talk about with season four. We can't get to necessarily everything, but um, certainly an impactful and memorable season to say to say the least. And so I'm excited to see what happens with season five. Um, if you finished all of season uh, all of Insecure, wow, that. That was easy for me to say. Um, if you've finished all of Insecure season four, um, definitely hit us up on social. Let us know what you think about this new this new season um, at Two Black Nerds. And so with that said, man, we're going to move on and we're going to pivot a little bit to the world of video games, which this is super exciting because last week Sony has officially rolled out and announced a PlayStation 5. They did a whole big virtual event, which was actually postponed from the week prior because of everything happening. Um, but of course, with an announcement of the system, they're going to announce games that are coming out. And we finally got an announcement of the next Spider-Man entry, which I didn't necessarily expect this, but I'm pleasantly surprised by it. No the next Spider-Man game is going to be focused primarily on Miles Morales. Who, if you don't know Miles, if you don't know Miles, he is, um, you know, 
a a black and Puerto Rican, I believe, Spider-Man um, in the comics, and they're bringing him to life in the video game series. Miles was also obviously featured in Into the Spider-Verse, which came out in 2018. Hugely popular movie. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Go watch it right now. But Spider-Man Miles Morales, it's coming out this holiday season, 2020. It's going to be one of the launch titles of the PS5, and it's the follow-up to the 2018 Spider-Man game that came out on the PS4. Um, just, you know, a few things that we found out so far. It's going to take place a year after the events of the 2018 game. So, Miles is officially Spider-Man. If you've played that game, spoiler alert, by the end of it, he gets bit by a radioactive spider, you know, so he sort of gets the powers of Spider-Man. So, in this game, he's going to be Spider-Man um, full full on and full through. And so, and, and it's officially been announced as a standalone game as well. There was some confusion as to whether it's going to be like downloadable content or an expansion yeah, pack, but this was... is going to be a standalone game um, that's been mm-hmm. confirmed by Insomniac, who's the developers. There's going to be new villains, new set pieces, and it's also set in the wintertime in New, in new York, which is really, really fucking cool. So we haven't seen that before, yep. but cool. we got a trailer, um, about a 90-second trailer. What were your thoughts on this, uh, this Spider-Man Miles Morales trailer mm-hmm. we saw? Man, first of all, I was already excited to see any games from PlayStation. I was really watching the um, the PlayStation Five announcement, um, I guess event to see the see the actual system, but to come out the gate with a Miles Morales trailer <laughs> was wild. Like <laughs> that is a great choice. Like yeah. y'all, they y'all beasted that. Like PlayStation beasted that, um, especially coming from uh, Spider Man PS Four. Um, where Miles Morales was actually a very um, recurring, important character. You actually play a, play as him a couple times, but not with powers. You just play with him as a, like a normal human being. Um, and uh, him and Peter Parker have like these interactions where eventually uh, Peter Parker finds out that Morales or Miles uh, has the powers, and they're like, "What? You can do that? I can do that too." <laughs> kind of type thing, kind of like Spider Verse. It was really good. it was really dope to see. Um, but yeah, man, to to be able to get this game is going to be amazing. There is a severe lack severe all caps severe lack of black representation in video games um particularly as the main character and there's a lot of different reasons for that right whether that be um the gaze to see a black lead character in the game um whether that be black developers black artists black storyboarders all these other things um there's, there's several reasons for it but to finally get one um that is so big right this is a spider-man game this ain't like no small indie game that's coming out this is like a really really big title um featuring a black man uh and i think it's really important um for for the culture honestly and for video game and possibly for the future um hopefully we can get more uh black people who want to make games um i'm still waiting on a game where the main character is a black woman because look i will be the first one in line to pick it up for Um, sure and yeah, I think it's gonna be really dope. Miles Morales, uh, one of my favorite characters. He's a beast, and I'm just ready for the game to come out. So, absolutely, I'm I'm hoping that this furthers the case, further makes the case of a solo Miles Morales Spider-Man film someday, live action. I'm I'm live hoping action. that this I'm hoping that this makes the case for that. I think between Into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. and this game, which I I just absolutely know it's gonna be amazing. 
uh, I think I think we're closer. We're probably closer than ever to seeing that become a reality. So, yeah. as you said, everything you said is, is spot on. Very much looking forward to it. It's coming out this holiday season. Um, we dropped the trailer on our on our Twitter. So if you've seen it, just hit us up. Let us know what you think at Two Black Nerds um, and give us your opinions on Spider Man Miles Morales. Um, and with that said, man, we got to talk about something a little bit controversial. Uh oh. Um, a lot of controversial. <laughs> which, a lot of bit controversial. Uh, J Cole has released a brand new song um, just a couple of days ago. Snow on the Bluff dropped on all streaming services, and boy, has it sparked quite a bit of discussion, quite a bit of controversy. Niggas be thinking I'm deep, intelligent, fooled by my college degree. My IQ is average, there's a young lady out there, she way smarter than me. I scroll through her timeline in these wild times and I started to read. She mad at these crackers, she mad at these capitalists, mad at these murder police. She mad at my niggas, she mad at our ignorance, she wear her heart on the sleeve. She mad at the celebrities, low key I be thinking she talking about me. Now I ain't no dummy to think I'm above criticism, so when I see something that's valid, I listen, but shit, it's something about the queen's tone that's bothering me. So, I guess just to, you know, sort of recap the, 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 the buildup of all of this, um, the song in and of itself contains, uh, some very interesting lyrics. It's a very intentional song by J Cole. This was, uh, this, this doesn't seem like anything for promotion or anything to build up an album. This is something that feels in and of this moment right now with everything happening in the country. Um, so he dropped this song and if, if you listen to the song and you read the lyrics, man, I mean, it's obviously pointing to some, some feelings and things that he feels in terms of, you know, education about, you know, black liberation and, and racial injustice and, and activism and what all that looks like and what all of that means for every individual person. He has some very, very specific thoughts about that. And, and that, that sparked a lot of, a lot of backlash apparently because, most people on the internet assumed like, hey, this seems to be directed at somebody and it seems to be directed at a very specific rapper, that rapper being no name. And it seems like he's really directing a lot of, you know, a lot of what the what the contents of this song is at her, you know, and sort of like what she's embodied as as, you know, not only a rapper, but also as an activist and somebody who's been vocal about these issues and about the racial injustices happening in our country. Um, and so once the song came out and people started to digest it and listen to it and share their own opinions, the following morning, he decided to drop a storm of tweets, a stream of consciousness, so to say, to, to let, let off his thoughts about what people were saying about the song. And so I'll go ahead and read that really quickly. Um, and I quote, J. Cole says, Morning, I stand behind every word of the song that dropped last night. Right or wrong, I can't say, but I can say it was honest. Some assume to know who the song is about. That's fine with me. It's not my job to tell anybody what to think or feel about the work. I accept all conversation and criticisms. But let me use this moment to say this. Follow no name. I love and honor her as a leader in these times. She has done and is doing the reading and the listening and the learning on the path that she truly believes is the correct one for our people. Meanwhile, a nigga like me just be rapping. I haven't done a lot of reading and I don't feel well equipped as a leader in these times, but I, but I do a lot of thinking. And I appreciate her and others like her because they challenge my beliefs. And I feel that in these times, that's important. Mm -hmm. We may not agree with each other, but we got to be gentle with each other. So um, those were J. Cole's, you know, tweets about about his work and about, you know, what people have been saying on social. So 
with all of that, you know, laid out on the table, man, especially, you know, from you, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts because you're, you're, you're certainly a music aficionado. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about this entire situation with the song of itself, right? Like, what mm-hmm. do we think about the song and the quality of it? But then also the, yeah. the, the deeper meanings behind it, right? So yeah. let's talk about it. So um, the song is called Snow in the Bluff, right? And so Snow in the Bluff is this uh, 2011 movie. Um, which we uh, a bunch of people used to think was a documentary. <laughs> was, <laughs> right. 2011 movie about Curtis Snow, who is uh, he's a rob he's a robber and he's a dealer. You know, I think he 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 used to deal crack to like college kids and stuff um, in Atlanta. And so you're, he's seen at the beginning of the movie still in this camera um, that he uh, that he takes from some kids that he's dealing to, and then he makes an autobiographical uh, documentary, right? And what's crazy about this, this is kind of off top, but kind of on top. This film was so convincing that the Atlanta Police Department tried to link the footage of the film to like different home invasions, like across Atlanta. Actual crimes, right? Actual crimes. And then um, they find out later that the movie was not even real. Curtis Snow's an actor, all this stuff. Um, sorry to come out. Um, which is crazy because the actual Curtis Snow, who was acting, he did end up getting arrested for something else. <laughs> but it was like aggravated assault or something. The but, irony. Um, that's really important because Cole is playing off this, um, off this idea of the film, right? That you think is a documentary, you think it's real, and then it ends up being fictional after deeper investigation. And so, really, that's what this song is about. He feel like, uh, let's see, No Name made this tweet, right, where she was saying how there's a bunch of, um, you're, he was, she was speaking gener- generally in a way, but kind of pointing at certain rappers um, who have a more um, woke <laughs> style of rapping um, or uh, content. And she was saying how um, you, you have all this crazy content about social justice in, in, uh, in your work um, and all of your music. But now that the time has risen, you haven't said anything. And so uh, I don't know if J. Cole seen the tweet himself. I don't know. Somebody was like, hey, bro, I think she's talking about you. Or I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what, what's, what happened. But uh, J. Cole, I guess, felt um, not threatened, but felt like maybe the tweet was talking about him. And I think this song is just a reflection instead uh think he's a rapper right j cole writes that's what he does and i think once he read it um and he is a thinker he is a thinker that's what he does he thinks a lot and i think he just literally started writing down um all of his thoughts but in the form of a song and he just recorded it and put it out and this is what we got and so it's really interesting um because uh close to the end of the song he says uh niggas be thinking i'm deep intelligent and fooled by my college degree but it's like he's kind of acknowledging but like at the same time he doesn't he he may he's in he's kind of questioning his own inner motives like wondering if he like is really interpreting shit the way (laughs) that it should be interpreted and he feels like um no name is interpreting right because she reads like this is one of the more most revolutionary rappers that we know of like if you listen to room 25 that is a black ass album like yes <laughs> room 25 is black as shit um and i it's really interesting to see how twitter has taken to it right because there are very two extremes going on here um there are you got your cold stands who are just like man what he said was very profound this and that blah 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 um, then you have uh, your no name side, right, which is um, the the seems to be the general consensus of black women. Right. Which they're in um, some other way, like uh, they feel like Cole was being. What's the word? Help me out here. If you can. He, Cole was being. 
I need a good Shit, word. I mean, almost. I'm well. I mean, the way that I read it is, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of an indictment on. I hate to say the word lazy, but it seems like, in a sense, kind of laziness, yeah. like compla- mm-hmm. complacency almost. Like, right. I just be rapping. I don't really read. So, can mm-hmm. you show me? Can you show me like the ways to go about how we should, a, you know, yes. help our people? Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's kind and of a complacency. Black- Right. And black women don't feel like that um, complacency or they do feel like that complacency is so indicative and uh, historical in the way black men have treated black women for so long. That exactly. It kind of it, it makes them feel um, um, like, nigga, just listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like disregarded it. You know, they, yeah, we continue to like disregard them and forget about them. Exactly. Like one, you didn't have to say anything back at all, Cole. If he like, if you really didn't want to, um, two, he could have just tried to do the work or even hit up no name privately. Um, three, um, at the same like, at the same time, he he kind of like you said, he does this thing where he feels like he's asking no name for help, but it's but it's at the same time, it's like nigga, do your own research. That's right. I, I, like I see where black women are coming from right because for so long they feel like they always have had to um i guess hold the hand of a lot of black men who are trying to learn about something when the the information is out there and um i think in some ways um they're they're tired of of just holding holding black men's hand in a lot of different ways and uh and because they're tired too and it's like you can do you know the work on your own and and i get that um what i will say is the both sides are extremely upset for no, like too upset. Like there's like ten, <laughs> like there's like two, there's like two tens on both sides that it I don't is. Think neither one should be a ten. It's like yeah, I get why you're upset, and I get why I get your point, but y'all don't have to go to tens. Like I don't know, I feel like everyone is just just really really upset over this, um, and I think that Cole was just being uh himself like all of this stuff just started coming out of nowhere all of a sudden all of a sudden um people have been talking about Cole as a misogynist um and there's a lot of stuff coming out about some okay this is when I I had to leave Twitter yesterday y'all this is the thing that made me leave Twitter someone said that Queen is now just Queen when 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 guys say Queen they really mean bitch and I was like Oh, now, come on. What what are we doing now? It's time for me to leave Twitter. You telling me no. Queen is a microaggression now? That's what oh, we're no. doing? I, I won't no. accept that one. I said, okay, I have to get off the internet because that there's this is this is getting completely out of control um and yeah i don't I don't know if it's this state of the protests and stuff is going on, but everyone just feels like a social justice warrior, and there's just a little bit just a little bit too much happening. Um, but again, I, I, I get it. I get it. Like, yeah, I get it. man, I get it's it. a, it's a, <laughs> it's a complicated situation for sure. Complicated situation. Um, I will, I will go ahead. No, you got it. Oh, I was going to say, I, I just think that, so first I'm going to address like one thing that Cole said in his tweets where he said, meanwhile, a nigga like me just be rapping. I, I don't agree with that. I think yep. he's underselling himself. Absolutely. Like this man yes. was. This man for sure was out protesting, right. not only now, but 
five, six years ago with Michael right. Brown. You know, like mm-hmm. he he's been out there. You know, so I, I I don't want him to downplay any of his efforts and any of the things that he's done. You know, putting himself out there because he doesn't have to do that. We have we we we've seen most celebrities don't actually get out on the street and do that type of right. shit. Like we've seen like him and Michael B. Jordan and, you know, definitely like some black uh, women yep. at the forefront J- of the movement. Jamie Foxx. Jamie. Yeah. So I don't yeah. want him to downplay that. Now, with that said, I absolutely understand and, 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 and see the perspective of a lot of, you know, other people who do feel, you know, the feelings of it, it probably, you know, mostly aligns with what you said, like black women or, you know, things of that nature who, yeah are you know historically have always been the most oppressed the most forgotten about the most disregarded group of people because they have Mm -hmm. to deal with not only being black but also being a woman and then you know you want to add in all the other intersections of you know you know being trans or all these other things that you identify with like it gets very complicated and because because they've always been at the forefront of a lot of these movements like they've always stuck their necks out when when it comes to the killing of, of mostly black men by police yeah to to see to see a black man you know sort of come from behind them and say like yeah I don't really be doing the work I don't really be reading and shit so like can you can you sort of like be gentle with me and like think mm-hmm. about me and think about how I receive this and that absolutely comes off a certain way and I could totally exactly. see that because yep. you know we all have the resources at this point like we we all have access to so many different readings and literature and 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 educational materials that we have access to like there's really no excuse which is this this is what we would tell the white people all the time like we don't need to tell you anything. Everything is out there for you at the at the click of a button. You can go to Google and you can see a laundry list of shit that can help educate you about these topics. Right. And so that same energy has to be directed towards people within our own community and we have to hold them accountable. So mm-hmm. I could totally see the frustration and the and you know why people would feel that way. I, I agree that this could have been just a conversation between the two. I saw somebody tweet yeah. like, man, Cole, you really could have just DM'd her, bro. Like, you didn't that's have to all, write this whole song. That's you all know? you had to do, dog. Like, he could have just had that conversation because, I mean, there's still speculation as to whether or not it's about her. My feeling is that it absolutely is about her. Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought her up in his tweets. Mm-hmm. Um, so this could have been a conversation that they could have had out personally. Really, it yeah. could have been that because I think it probably would have been more productive for them to hear out each other and their perspectives instead of this song coming out. And now everybody gets to perceive it and judge it because now, now it's like art and you know we're going to judge it as such. Um, but yeah, I mean... I think criticism is healthy. I think him getting criticized is fine. Like that's totally yeah. fine. He isn't mm-hmm. above reproach. Like we don't we don't have to like exclude him from the conversation, even though he has been out protesting. Like he could be criticized, but also like if you feel if you feel like you agree with him that we do need to sort of think about the way we approach how we teach others. You know, sure. I can I can see that perspective to an extent, right? Like right, if right. you consider yourself a teacher, if you consider yourself somebody that's going to educate others, I could see the perspective of think about how somebody receives the information. Think about your approach and what you're doing, right? Um, it doesn't fall solely on that person as the educator to 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 think about those things cuz listen, you got to be real about this shit. None of this shit is pretty. All of it is right. horrific. All of it is terrible. Like exactly. this is like real grimy, ugly shit. So you can't paint a pretty picture out of it. Um, but you know, at the same time, everybody does receive things differently. So there's there's points on both sides. Yeah. I do think we got as a as a, as a as a collective, as a community, you know, that was on Twitter, you know, talking about this. A lot of people did get really angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which maybe we didn't have to. I don't. I don't know. It's it's a lot to think about. But yeah. um, it certainly started tons and tons of conversation that dominated you know all of social media for for the entire day mm-hmm. for sure Damn. um I but just, if you've heard the song oh, go, go ahead. ahead 
I, I was just going to say, I just need just people just to calm down a little bit when they read something. That's all. <laughs> just a little bit. Just read it or listen to it. It's okay to process, right? And takes a little bit of time um, before reacting instantly. I think uh, I think Twitter has created a culture where you want to be the first to react to something. <laughs> yes. And uh, often in a radical way um, that uh, not only gets you retweets, but the attention that gets you those retweets. You know what I mean? Not saying that that's exactly what you're going for, but you want people to agree with you so quick and so fast um, that often you don't flush out your own thoughts. In fact, I think that's what Cole did exactly. <laughs> he just needed to call. He just needed to sit back think about how to uh, approach something um from the right way you know read the room has been the 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 phrase over these past couple months read the room i don't think cole read the room very well i'm not saying his message is not a hundred you know what i mean not viable in some certain ways right but just read the room and i think um that needs to go for a lot of people even on twitter um just trying to think uh in process before they always decide to type a tweet or even go read go research google's a thing books are a thing um so yeah yeah absolutely it's okay to take some time to just think about it and then come back to it later like i do that with emails at work all the time i'd be angry at some of them emails and i just gotta i write up a draft <laughs> i'll take some time i'll step away and i'm like let me go ahead and change it a little bit let's change up the tone and the language which you know we don't always have to do. We don't have to censor ourselves, but sometimes it's good to just think about something and sit on it for a little second, you know, right? And then come back to it, right? So um, it was really interesting to see all of that develop. But yeah, let us know what you think about the song and the whole situation between J. Cole and No Name. Hit us up at social on two, oh, uh, Twitter but, and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. But also, I think No Name just released Song 33, mm, Impossible to Response to J. Cole. Uh oh. Wow. An hour, like an just, hour, just released it? About an hour ago. Oh goodness! So um, now we're gonna have to we're gonna have to listen to that and see what happens. We're gonna have to listen to it and see what happens. Um, yep, we'll talk about it. But yeah, oh man, so that's catch crazy. Up with that. Next time, man. Um, time. All right, man. Well, let's uh, let's talk about these other topics that we have on our list. So some oh, things yes, sort yes. of outside outside of the realm of like you know other things like related to music and movies we've been talking about. Aunt Jemima. Oh wow. man. Um, about damn time. About. <laughs> time coming about damn time man you want to break this story down for us like what's going on with our jemima yeah man so finally um in a statement um uh the 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 company quaker oats who has been who has always been owned by pepsico it's a pepsico company has finally come out and said that they are finally changing aunt jemima the very very well-known black character that's on everybody's syrup (laughs) (laughs) Aunt Jemima, man. Um, and so, um, in a statement, um, they made, uh, they said, to make progress toward racial equality through several initiatives, uh, the packaging uh, will change to appear towards the end of the year um, with the name soon to follow. And I actually uh, read up more about this. They people have been, They've actually been trying to go through Aunt Jemima changes for quite some time. Um, in terms oh. of rebranding, uh, I guess the quote-unquote character. Um, actually, the original Aunt Jemima was uh, an ori- a slave back in the the late eighteen hundreds, uh, and um, they did some things. I think around the seventies where they tried to give her a plaid bandana. They tried to put some pearl earrings on her, maybe to dress her up to make her look uh, less like a uh, a just a slave. I guess maybe more of a of a renowned black caricature rather than a slave that is on a bottle. Um, yeah. And so um, 
just recently uh, I, I read another story that said how um, there was even an attempt. To, they brought in somebody who was just that one person. I think it was a black woman, maybe or a black man. That one person was supposed to come in, get a team and change um, Aunt Jemima, whether that be the character, what it would look like, the sayings, this and that. Um, but on, even on that team, they, they were the only person of color. Like they said, put together a team. They only gave them white people on the right. team. And it's like uh, there was a lot going on there. So, of, of course, with all this uh, social justice unrest and a lot of things happening in the world, um, again, uh, Quaker uh, Oats came out and said that they're going to finally, <laughs> finally, finally put uh, together a uh, a plan to get Aunt Jemima um, out of the uh, out of the limelight and turn it to another character or maybe something different of some sort. Man, this shit is low-key hilarious. I, I, I just <laughs> to see what these companies are doing now uh, yeah. in, in the current co- climate is is crazy. It's showing it's showing some interesting colors. I would say um, in yeah. a similar move, like I, I know you saw how uh, Warner Brothers removed Gone with the Wind from HBO Max because of like the racial depictions of of of, of black of people Mammy. in that movie, mm-hmm. of Mammy, you know, and stuff like that. And they're gonna re-upload it with a contextual statement. Um, and then this like. Aunt Jemima, like that's been in public consciousness for decades at this point. Like that transcends generations. Yeah. And the fact that they're finally now in 2020 deciding like we're actually going to like make this happen like immediately now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting to see uh, just like how all these companies are reacting to things. Uh, you know, again, for good, for good or for worse, you know, whatever the intentions are, you know, some are noble, some are probably not and a little bit more driven by personal or financial gain. Um, again, I think that this is this is a pivotal moment in our history. Um, things yep. are really turning the corner in a lot of in a lot of different instances, and we've seen all of the corporate statements come out from damn near every company. Whether they're just putting out you know a statement saying like Black Lives Matter matter or we stand in solidarity, or people yeah. actually putting money, opening the person, putting in money to these different movements and these different initiatives. A lot's happening with these businesses, but this uh this is this is really interesting because the Aunt Jemima character, like like you said, everybody knows that that character and it's been it's been around for su- such a long time. But it's it's about damn time. Like it's about get damn that time. get get that off the shelves. Like we we should have been gotten rid of that. Like mm-hmm. we we we've known that this has been like not a good thing. So it's it's right. about damn time that they got it out of here. Yeah, for sure. And this is the same company again, PepsiCo. Who was in controversy after running that damn Kendall Jenner commercial with, where she delivered a can of Pepsi to these police officers at a Black Lives Matter protest? This is, this is the same company, you know what I mean? Damn, like, they they like, they really suck, bro. Like they, they are they, terrible. Pepsi goes really ass. Pepsi goes really bad. <laughs> they really up out here tearing up. Back in my younger days, when I used to irresponsibly drink soda too much, mm-hmm. uh, I used to ride for Pepsi, not knowing. And I, you know, I can sit here and admit that hey, absolutely that a mistake. Is still fire. <laughs> Pepsi, the wild, wild cherry was different, man. But they're trash when it comes to oh, you know worse. identity and political messaging and reading yeah. the room and tone and all of that. They they they. Mm-hmm. They're, I guess they're trying though. They're trying. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Let's get that off the shelves ASAP. Um, we got some other topics to talk about. Just some, you know, a few quick hits for this week. So that girl Lele, social hey. media sensation, superstar, yeah. uh, the, artist, the, the beast rapper, beast rapper, like dope as hell, okay. has landed a deal with Nickelodeon. Yep. Oh wow, this is actually kind of crazy. So um, I saw this story pop up in Deadline, um, and they say 13 year old social media star and hip hop artist that girl Lele. 
Um, is getting into business with Nickelodeon, signing an overall deal with the network. Under the pack, Nickelodeon will work with the teen sensation, known professionally as Lele, to develop original multi-platform programming, music initiatives, and build a cross-category consumer products business. Uh, they said much more, but that's, man, that's really dope. That's really dope that they, they just extended that deal to her. She She's about to blow up even more so than she already yeah. has at this point. Yeah. Another young young black star coming up. How can you be mad? How can you be mad? Such a good thing to see. Uh, but she wasn't the only one to receive a deal. Our our good our good our good brother Matthew Cherry has also land landed a really big deal with Warner Brothers Television um, just recently, and he's going to develop a re- and create original content uh, mm-hmm. based around you know different new original properties that he's working on with 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 Warner Brothers, and that plans to also be a multi platform strategy. I saw that they they plan to do things for HBO Max for Warner Brothers Look. Television, like he's going to be everywhere at this point. He's about to beast like. So uh, he is directing um, just one episode of the new uh, Saved by the Bell. Um, but imagine if we get a cartoon on television. Again, this is Warner Brothers Television that has the same tone as a uh, as a as a hair love. You know how mm. fire that would be. Like imagine like uh, how cold Doc McStuffins was, right? Like this black yeah. little girl who wanted to be a doctor. Imagine that on just more notable networks you know what i mean like i I think he can produce some really great um especially black content especially as someone who's always uh attempted to champion you know his work centered around uh black people so i think it'll be great man definitely looking forward to see what they come up with and i mean you know that that oscar uh, and that Academy Award win from earlier this year. Clearly, it's done. It's done good work for him. It's done wonders. Can't wait to see what Matthew Cherry produces um, in mm-hmm. this new deal with Warner Brothers. Um, also, just found out Blood and Water has been renewed for season two on Netflix. It's coming yeah. back again. Definitely I ain't good news. It yet, but I ain't watched it yet either. But still I, I hear news. it's a really good show. Yeah. Yep. I hear it's a really good show. Um, if you've seen the show, definitely let us know and you know tell us your thoughts about it. And if you recommend it, I do. I do intend to get to it, but I, I hear really good things. So it's just good to see another you know show centered on the black experiences and black characters and you know black people is is getting another another life over at Netflix. Really, really happy to see that for sure. Yes, yes. yes. Um, also, um, um, we have uh, a new movie coming out tomorrow on the day um, mm-hmm. called Miss Juneteenth. Hey, uh, I actually don't know where this movie will be viewed. I think it was on Apple, maybe. Okay, Apple. Uh, it might be on Apple the, TV uh, Plus. The Apple TV Plus, possibly. Yeah. Um, I think I'm not 100 percent. Uh, because a lot of the a lot of the sources I've seen just say on demand, <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean it's coming out on literally video on demand, Voodoo and stuff? Or, but sure. I also seen another ad that has something to do with Apple uh, TV Plus. So we'll see. Um, but just a quick synopsis. Um, since Juneteenth is tomorrow, we have to talk about this, right? Miss Juneteenth. Uh, this is a film that follows a girl named Turquoise Jones, um, a single mother in Fort Worth who wants her 15 year old daughter, daughter named Kai, to win the Miss Juneteenth pageant. Apparently, it's a pageant. It's an annual competition that awards the winner a scholarship to a HBCU or a Sorosky Black College, um, or university of her choice, which girl you, you better do the right thing turquoise <laughs> who won the uh who won the title in 2004 is convinced that kai will take better advantage of the opportunity and secure a brighter future than she did but kai has other aspirations and desires she wants to try out for the school dance team hang out with her crush and live a life generally encumbered by her mother's um rule 
that is the description of the movie. Um, so nice. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, it's good. Again, it comes out tomorrow. Um, hopefully, I can. We, we'll put out more information on social media. What exact? Where exactly it's available? Absolutely, and it, it it's starring uh, Nicole Bahari. I hope I pronounced that right. She's mm-hmm. a beast. She is a yep. beast. She was in um. She was in uh, what's that Netflix show called? Uh, Black Mirror. She was in that Black Mirror episode with uh, Anthony Mackie, yep. and her in, acting um, skills was Sleepy just Hollow. off the chain. Sleepy Hollow, yeah. She yep. she's really she's really coming up out here. I, I can't wait to see her do more work. So I'm definitely gonna try to check this out for sure. Um, uh, actually, um, our boy uh, Nate from Insecure. What's his name again? Um, uh, oh. He's, he's in. Also, he's in this as well. He's in this as well. Uh, Nathan you. from Insecure is also going to be in. Um, in this oh, uh, Kendrick Sampson. Kendrick Sampson. That's his name. Yeah, yeah. He's also yeah. going to be in the film. So it's a, another black movie coming out perfectly at the right time. Again, Miss Juneteenth. Yeah, man, and I guess just, you know, to, to sort of, like, think about that, too, man, just to let y'all know, if you haven't seen, we've trying to been post as much as possible. There's so much free black uh, stuff out there right now, so many f- uh, free black movies that are available right now, like we talked about Just Mercy, that's available to watch for free right now. Uh, yep. Selma has been made available for, for free. Right before we started recording this show, just found out that this weekend only, HBO is making Watchmen, all nine episodes of the limited series available for free. Um, if you yes. haven't watched Watchmen, oh my God, that... Talk about a show that fucking predicted the future, hey. the current present, right, that we're living in right yeah. now. Spot on with everything, right? So yep. definitely watch Watchmen. And there's a, a a host of other things. I know Criterion has you know opened up their catalog for like their black filmmakers that they worked with. Um, again, we'll we'll continue to post these things as much as possible. But if you're if you're just you know looking for black content and just looking for things to watch and really you know mm-hmm. sink your teeth into, um, I'm sure most of the listeners on the show are black, so they y'all y'all get it. But even if you just want to watch the shit, like it's a ton of stuff out there. So we'll continue to to push that stuff out to y'all. Um, definitely. And with that said, man, we just got one more topic. You know, we we didn't even discuss this, but just threw this on just because just because I remembered it. Uh, Dave oh, Chappelle. How could oh, I man. forget? How could how could we forget? Dave Chappelle dropped out of nowhere a surprise stand up special uh, on on YouTube via Netflix's YouTube entitled 846. And it is a visceral, raw, ferocious attack on white supremacy and racism and everything that we've been talking about. And I think it's really appropriate to, to sort of end the episode on, on this specific topic and our thoughts on, on a 46, but man, Dave Chappelle, um, it was really interesting to see this happen because he clearly, uh, didn't think this out all that well it was just something i think he acted off of impulse to do um he sort of tweeted out and said like this is this is really me at, at my most unrefined this isn't a normal routine he, he didn't really prepare for this mm-hmm. there's a couple of jokes sprinkled throughout the special but it's not it's not really a funny special it's mostly it's mostly a direct discussion and a talk about about things yeah. that are happening right now and of course it's entitled 846 you know um after the the eight minutes and 46 seconds that uh that officer was was kneeling on on george floyd's neck that that ultimately led to his death but um yeah man and he dropped it at a weird time it was like after midnight maybe almost one in the morning when it dropped yeah. on online but mm-hmm. 846 came out it's about 30 minutes what did you think about this uh the special from dave uh just amazing um what's really crazy is um you know we just got we just got done talking about how um no name you know made that tweet about people who might be quiet at the time even though all their work uh 
um, includes uh, social justice, you know what I mean, somewhere within the work. Um, it's really interesting. Um, spoiler, not a spoiler. Dave kind of like says um, how like people have been calling out celebrities, you know what I mean? And Dave has always said, who gives a fuck about what Ja Rule thinks <laughs> at a time like this? <laughs> and um, that, but he, he uses that um, as a way to to explain why um, he feels like he doesn't have to say anything as um celebrity who has also always had uh, black content and uh, black oppression somewhere um, deep down in his work. You know what I mean? And so I think it was just very, very, very well done. Um, I like how um, people had to sit in twos. Um, like it, it was very, it was very telling of the time. Like he, he, uh, he understood the the risk of COVID. He gave everyone masks with the Dave Chappelle emblem on it. You know what I mean? Like he, he wanted people to be comfortable to come and listen to him about uh, this very important thing that he had to say. Um, and it was just, it was really dope, man. It was probably one of my favorite things I've ever seen from a comedian. Um, because Dave does have a platform. He's one, literally, he's probably my favorite comedian of all time, me personally. Um, and to, to see him do something like this was really great for me. Um, I'm really happy he did it. And I look, legendary, dog. Dave Chappelle's the GOAT, for sure. Man, I can't disagree with you on that. I, I, I watched this as soon as it dropped. And again, it was like one in the morning. I was on my way to sleep, but that shit woke me up. I can tell you yeah. that. Like I instantly was like, oh, my goodness. It just it felt like a, a, a jolt of energy because, man, he so he so expertly was able to visualize and illustrate black anger and yeah. trauma that we deal with because he literally and we don't see him do this often because dave is a pretty relaxed and chill personality when he's not like acting in a movie or doing like mm -hmm. sketch comedy but when he's doing his stand-up specials man he's as cool as can be he's smoking a cigarette he's just chilling telling his jokes he's not that animated right and so to see him like get up out of his seat and be angry and be upset and all of this and he he didn't just like lash out like he was saying really, really, you know, provocative things that that, that all I think rang true. And, you know, he, he really he really brought this whole thing, I think, together. Like you, you mentioned the Ja Rule piece. Talk yeah. about bringing a, a joke fucking 360, right? Like bringing right. the whole thing full circle, something he 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 told as a joke like 20 years ago yeah, forever, that we've sort bro. of forever that we that we've researched resurfaced mm -hmm. in public consciousness has become like a funny, you know, video gift now. But then, like, it absolutely makes sense for this moment. Like, it absolutely yeah. resonates. Like, who gives a shit about what any of these celebrities think? We shouldn't look to them to save us. We shouldn't look to them to to step out in front of these things to do anything. Like, we are we are the only ones who are going to protect ourselves. We the, we're the only ones who can who can depend upon ourselves to like actually get out there and do this work that needs to be done. So, it was it was great to see, great to watch, and man, it it's, it definitely set the internet on fire. And I think mm -hmm. I think again, it was necessary. It was urgent and of the moment. I'm just happy to see so much happening right now. Um, you know, really in the in the world of entertainment, like there are things happening that 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 are really important for us to to, to view and watch in this time, and to really take a moment and consume them and, and and develop thoughts and to think about it and have discussions on top of the work that we're doing out in the streets. You know, on top of the work right. that we're doing, you know, by voting or by by giving money and and all these different things. I think it's all needed and it's all necessary uh, to get where we got to go. And you know, with all of that said, man, that's the last topic that we have for this week. I certainly want to thank you all for listening to this week's episode the special juneteenth edition i think this is officially our longest episode of two black nerds yep. ever 
uh rightfully so because it is a juneteenth edition it's absolutely a celebration today please everybody be safe today certainly remember there is still a pandemic out there but have as much fun as you can celebrate this day as as it's meant to be celebrated with with friends and family um and also remember and acknowledge all those who, who sacrificed so much to get to this place but that's all we got for this week man Hey, that's all we got. Hey, as always, we appreciate y'all. Like Jordan said, y'all, just please be safe uh, no matter what you're doing for Juneteenth. Uh, I know I finally got my mom to recognize Juneteenth. <laughs> it took the world to be in shambles for her to get to listen to me. I've been trying to tell her to do this for years. I've been trying to get a family to celebrate Juneteenth for years. Um, but I think they're finally coming around. So um, be safe. Uh, always remember uh, that your blackness is a part of you. Um, it's your, your blackness is inherited. It's not earned. You know what I mean? So um, keep that with you at all times. You, you black as hell. You're going to stay black as hell. Even though we black every day, use Juneteenth to be blackity black, black, black. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, for sure. So uh, just keep that in mind. As always, uh, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. Thank you so very much for listening to the longest episode ever that we've ever had. Again, this has been another episode of Two Black Nerds where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out. Peace. Me a taste of soul, eating on gumbo with the black eyed peas. Yeah, black on, black on, black nigga. I'm back on, back on track. My shit black owned. If you ain't a nigga, then you can't say nigga. It's a black thing. It's a black yeah, thing. Spike lead, do the right thing. Right uh, don't step on my Nikes. Just got these. Go roll for the neck piece, nigga. Yup, I'm a white tee. Yeah. Oh, you wanna be just like me, huh? Did the police wanna lock me up? Chevy on creep, black Air Force ones. What it's gonna be? What it's gonna be? You can ask about me. Grew up in the West. Papa dog pounding jigger. Everybody wanna be black. Don't nobody wanna be a nigga. Uh. Feel like Malcolm X. Peeking outside my window. Everybody wanna be black, but don't nobody wanna be a nigga. Uh.